0: Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. In 2012, Paul Hebert was diagnosed with bladder cancer. Tell me about your diagnosis. Were you having symptoms?
1: Yeah, actually, I, I was, um, and unfortunately, uh, I wasn't, I didn't know that my symptom was bladder cancer related, or I would have been in a lot earlier. Uh, my symptoms was blood in my urine, and the first time that I had it, I thought, oh, I must have a kidney stone or something like that, that's scraped somewhere, and that's causing the blood, because it went away um, and didn't come back for two, three months. And then all of a sudden, it came back, and I'm thinking, well, that's weird. Um, but it's still in my mind, the only thing it could have been is either a kidney infection or a, blood, a stone, so it still didn 't register as a big problem. It was something that isn 't going to bother me too much. It might be painful. Yeah, I might have to go in and get some ultrasound to break up the stones, you know the things you read about mm-hmm. um, and then unfortunately, one time I was coming I was driving actually back from Ohio and I, and I live in South Carolina, so about about an hour from the house. Uh, I had to stop and go to the bathroom, and when I did, I couldn't go. Um, It just wouldn't come out. I had a full bladder, but what had happened was the blood in my bladder had been there so long, it started to congeal, Um. and it got stuck, and I couldn't go. And so I pushed and pushed and pushed, and finally I went. Well, of course, it went everywhere, and it was bloody and it was gross, and I called my wife. I said, I don't know if I'm dying and bleeding internally, but meet me at the emergency room. I'm going straight there. And so I did, and, uh, you know, talk about bedside manner. The the one nurse there, you know, when she took my symptoms down, she goes, well, be prepared, you probably have bladder cancer. And I'm like, y- you couldn't break it to me a little bit slower. Uh-huh. Um, so that was how I was diagnosed, and then I did go in, obviously, to a regular doctor, and they did a, was was a cystoscopy, I can't even say it. And they did, they found some tumors and, you know, did a, a cystos- 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 biopsy and it came back is what did they tell me? It was high grade stage two, aggressive, whatever that is. So that was my fun experience.
0: (laughs) Man. How did you come to a decision about what treatment option was best for you?
1: Obviously that's a a process everybody goes through and everybody has to think it through. and, And sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. So the hospital I happened to go to was a hospital that was probably 40 minutes away, and that's where I first went to the first urologist who did the the biopsy and all that, and when we went in to talk about it, he said your options are you could do the neobladder, you could do um, the the Indiana pouch, the IP, or you could do the external bag kind of thing. Uh, He told me that my best bet was the bag, and um, driving home, we were kind of set on that, um and then you know my wife and i talked and said well we should get a second opinion about all of this and so we did and we went in for the second opinion and we met with an oncologist and a nurse and we told him we had been out to this other doctor and he set the bag and the nurse almost immediately turned around and she was are you out of your mind i'm <laughs> <laughs> like Okay, uh, so you have a different opinion? <laughs> uh, she goes, you're, you're a young man. You don't want that. You can do the neobladder. It'll be internal. Nobody. It'll you, It'll be almost like you're back to new again, and you don't want to go 30, 40 more years with a bag. And I'm like, well, no, I, I really don't, but that wasn't, you know, the other guy said that this was a better way. And she's like, no, don't worry about it. And the oncologist was there as well, and he basically was shaking his head going, absolutely, you, you should go with the neobladder. And um, so then we, I met with a, a urologist, and, and they were, the, the woman I had met with, the doctor that was the, the, the urologist, is one of the people that trained people at like North Carolina, University of North Carolina, Cleveland Clinic. She was one that trained people on how to do neobladders, and she said, absolutely, do the neobladder. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we also did go to the uh, University of North Carolina for a um, third consult because my wife is just a little bit. worried worried about me more than I was Um, and they even said yeah do the neobladder so I had two neobladders in one bag so I went with the neobladder.
0: And can you explain what a neobladder is?
1: Yeah you know it's it's interesting because when they explained it to me I thought it was this new age thing and then to come to find out it's 20-30 years old but basically it is they create they take out your bladder and uh, because I'm a man they also take out your prostate at the same time just kind of cover any possibles. Uh, And then they take about, I think it's 20, 30 centimeters of your lower intestine or somewhere in that area, your intestines, and they take that out and they kind of create a new bladder out of the intestine. So it's your own tissue, uh, so there's no issue of rejection and everything. And then they hook up the, you know, your kidneys and your urethra and everything back together. So you basically just have this pouch inside your body um, that you – used to go to the bathroom so you don't have a bladder anymore you just have this fake one made out of your own tissue which i thought was just like ridiculously brilliant i'm like well that i can't even believe they can do that i yeah. thought it was brand new but it was like 30 years old the procedure so yeah so that i mean when i figured out that's what it was i'm like well, yeah let's do that that um you know the downside is it's about a 10 hour surgery 8 to 10 hour you know
0: Ooh, that's a long time to be under yeah
1: Yeah, they were telling me that, because if you think about it, though, I was trying to go, I was trying to understand it, but there's like three or four surgeries all in one, right? So you're going in, they're taking out your bladder, your prostate, that's one surgery. They're taking out a piece of your intestine, that's another surgery. They're then taking that and doing something with that, and then they're putting it back in, so that's another surgery, and then putting you all back together. So it's like three or four surgeries all in one event.
0: It's amazing what they can do. What is the recovery like from that?
1: You know, everybody's a little bit different, as you would expect, and and you know, it's one of the things because I write for the BladderCancer.net group. But you know, you have to put everything in there that that you know your mileage may vary, uh, because everybody's different. Whether how good a shape you're in, how bad a shape you're in, and I'm I was not in good shape. I mean, I just had bad habits all my life. So uh, the recovery is kind of interesting because uh, it takes about when you think about it, it's a pretty deep surgery, and uh, there's even though i had it done robotically which means they still had they had like the da vinci robot went in through very small incisions and did a lot of the work inside that way there's still about a six to eight inch scar that they staple up and you're in the abdomen um and so you know you don't have and they're cutting through your abdominal muscles so you don't really have the ability to do a sit-up or you know so you're you are in uh, you know non-mobile for quite a while right after. And of course, for men and for women, I'm guessing, uh, I had a catheter for five, six weeks, which is not a fun thing. That's a long time. Um, yeah, because, well, they have to let the one, the neobladder, heal, because mm-hmm. that's basically a stitched-up bag. So all that stitching that holds the bag together that they create has to heal before they allow it to fill up. So you've got the catheter. You've got, um, you know, a drain area for the fluid inside your, your abdomen that's building up because of the surgery. You've also got a an external pouch, right? So you actually have the pouch you would normally live with for the rest of your life for a short period of time, to allow the neobladder to heal without filling up. Um so you've got all of this stuff coming out of you and you're tired obviously from the the surgery and everything. So it's just about a, you know, 5 weeks you get your catheter out, 5 or 6 weeks and that's when you really can start moving because you can't, you know, you're not going to go to a rock concert with your catheter hanging out, right? So um so you, you just kind of stay in the house and, you know, luckily I, we've got a little one-story ranch so I could walk from the bedroom to, my TV, to the TV room and back and that was kind of my activity for four or five weeks um, other than doctor appointments every week. but um, And then after that, it's really a, a process of just moving, right? You've got to keep walking, you've got to go and then I'm going to say about, I'm trying to think this through, I had my surgery in January and I went on a beach vacation in May. So I was healed enough to, you know, get up, move around, get in a car, drive for four hours, hang out at the beach. Um, you know, I wouldn't say I was, uh, you know, I wasn't swimming and surfing, but, uh, you know, I was there with my family and we hung out and did that. So, I mean, you, it's about a, you know, four or five month uh, time period that you're kind of not really at 100%. Some people, if you're in much better shape, can compress that down to three or four months. Um, but for me, it was around five months. And when they did the, what do they call it, margins, they looked at all your lymph nodes and everything, I was clear, and I think they took 40-some lymph nodes. So I was clear everywhere. He said, you know, you'll never have to worry about it again, and that was almost six years ago. So
0: You'll cool. never have to worry about it again.
1: <laughs> well, you know, they're being positive. I mean, yes. I worry about it every day, but I've never had to have it again, <laughs> I guess is what he was hopefully trying to say, Yeah, you... that I wasn't going to have to deal with it.
0: Because you've written that while somebody's body may be cured of cancer, it's never cured in your mind.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that's the, that's the hard part about it. And, and I try really hard because, you know, can, bladder cancer is, uh, when, we have a friend of ours who's a, who's a surgeon who actually did my wife's surgery a few years back. And, and when we found out I had cancer, we called her and said, well, what do you think? And she said, well, the good news is it's highly curable. It's not a death sentence like some, you know, like pancreatic can be very much a death sentence. You just know you're, you know, because it's hard to catch, and you catch it, you know, late stage. So she said, so don't get upset, but on the other hand, be careful move forward the right way, but understand you don't need to worry as much as you might if it was something else because there are many things that can go right here. Um, so that's always a good thing, and I always feel like, so there's a part of me that says, you know, I don't want to live my life as a survivor because – I've had colds i've had flu and i've survived those okay so i had cancer i survived that i don't see myself as anything special there although some people you know they talk about it for 25 years afterwards so i say that but at the same time every pain every piece of discomfort when you wake up and your back hurts a little bit um if you um have a trouble just going to the bathroom one day or you're out of breath a little bit you always equate it back to is that cancer now Mm. because it's not a it's not an abstraction right it's a reality and i go every year for a cat scan because they're worried about it coming back and if the doctors are worried about it maybe i should be too so just every little tiny little thing that in you know 20 years ago i would have said oh it's just getting older that's why your knees hurt now it's I wonder if that's bone cancer. I wonder if that's uh, you know if it's metastasized and it's spreading. And it's just it's a it's an anxiety you live with, and you just try to you know I, I tell my wife I just try to compartmentalize and say you know it's just not something I worry about today. I worry about it when I get the CAT scan because that's the only time I'll really know. So I try to compartmentalize to the future on that.
0: Yeah. One of my favorite articles of yours is where you compare what you were told versus what your imagination made it out to be. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about now, too, with the the worries of recurrence. How do you how do you keep that in check?
1: You know, somebody, somebody also asked me that, I think, when I was first diagnosed, is how do you process? You just do. I don't know how. You just do. I mean, otherwise, you would be a basket case, right? You'd never leave the house. It's kind of like, you know, the odds of me probably getting killed in a car accident are are greater than me getting cancer again, but yet I still get in the car every day. Um, So I think you just have to, and um, you just make a choice to to not not worry about it, and you just do that. And, uh, you know, everybody, you know, and that's why I say I don't always feel like you know people say gosh you know you've had cancer you're kind of a you know that's that's such a big thing to overcome and it's kind of like i didn't really have a lot of choices right i was either overcome it or die so i chose to overcome it but i don't see that as a real lofty goal to stay alive but I, you know i guess it is just to you know it is a little bit harder than just a cold but you just deal with it i mean it's it really is i tried to write that in a couple of my articles that you know you you are kind of special but at the same time you're not just do the work get it done pay attention, try to stay healthy, and, you know, there's some things you can control in this world and some things you can't. Yeah. And you just figure those out, right?
0: You, you've you written that you travel a lot for work.
1: Every week, just about.
0: And I I love that you wrote about um, one of your experiences using the family bathroom. Can you share that story?
1: Yeah, You know, it, it, even today, five, six years later, I still carry... Um, when you when you first get your neobladder you have to catheterize yourself you have to go in put a catheter in and and make sure things keep working you can't let it heal up and i know that's just weird but you do about every 4 hours you have to put a catheter in and and for men especially and i'm guessing women too but men we're weird right we think that area of our body is just you know for one thing and one thing only and we we don't even like to mess with it ourselves um but you know, to do a catheter, it kind of makes every guy in the world cross their legs, but you got to do it. And the problem is, is you have to think, you know, that's a possibility in some cases that you have to do that for the rest of your life. I was lucky. I've been lucky that I don't have to do that. It works fine without the catheter, but you never know. Like I said, when, you know, there, there, there have been times when I was worried that I wasn't, it wasn't working. And so catheterizing yourself is a way to kind of make sure things are still cleaned out. And so I always travel with catheters; they're in my my bag, and to put a catheter in, you can't just do that standing out of your urnal right I mean mm-hmm. it's just not something to do in in public so and I never know for sure nobody knows for sure if you're going to need it or not um so in my world, I like to be able to use the family bathrooms because there's more room in there. You can set your luggage up. I can open it up. I can take the catheter out. I can unwrap it. I can put the, you know, there's lubrication that goes on it. You got to make sure you keep it sterile, all of that stuff. There's just more room to do that. And if I do need it, I want to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a certain, you know, I, I, and, and the same thing happens, you know, if you think about handicap stalls, they're larger, there's more space. So I use them a lot too. And there's, at first I had this real problem with the family bathrooms and handicapped is that's not my place, right? That's not mm-hmm. where I'm supposed to be because I'm not handicapped. I'm not, uh, you know, a family. And then it kind of dawned on me, you know, that that I have a need and why do I care what they think? If they if, if anybody ever gives me, and I've, I've kind of rehearsed this in my mind, is that if I ever come out of one of those places and somebody gives me a hard time, I'm going to say, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you come back in here and help me put my catheter in? <laughs> And then just look at them and see if they want to argue with me some more. Because I have a need, and now I don't feel guilty about it. It is what it is. It's my new normal, and you know I don't have to adjust to the sign on the door. First of all, the sign doesn't say only handicap. It's to allow people that have a handicap a place to go. It doesn't mean you can't use it. It just means you, you know, other people can. Right. So anyway, I, it is kind of an adjustment I made. I'm guessing other people probably have similar issues, especially guys that have to catheterize, that, you know, don't, you know, hey, you've got a need, take advantage of it. There's, it's not like you're blocking this thing up for hours and hours, right? It's just, you're in there for a few minutes and you're done. So that was just a mental adjustment I had to make. And I think we all have to go through that when we have a new normal, because we all want it to go back to the way it was. And that's, we kind of have, I think, in the back of our minds, that as a goal. But the reality is, I don't think that's ever going to be the goal. So why are we even making ourselves go through that? So I, I, I just always I just wrote that because that was something on my mind at the time. Is that I just had you know uh, when I travel, it's it is an issue, and I have to get over it myself, and I do. That and the fact that just you know you, you're always looking for a bathroom. Mm. <laughs> you, know, you, you always get your eyes peeled for where you can go in case you need to.
0: Yeah. I think it's acceptance, what you're talking about
1: yeah it's it's just you know making it the mental acceptance in your own mind that you're different than you were five six years ago. things are just the way they are and again, I think and I think I wrote about this in one of them is that because it's in the um, you know the urine slash um, waste disposal area of your life, I think there's this 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 just un untalked about I don't know what the right word is, but there's just this idea that you don't talk about that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. If it was lung cancer, nobody has a problem talking about, oh, I had lung cancer, and this is what I went through, and nobody says anything. But you start talking colon cancer or bladder cancer or even prostate cancer, and it becomes kind of a, ooh, I don't want to talk about that, versus, oh, you had that, you know, pancreatic doesn't have that problem. Lung cancer doesn't have that problem. Melanoma doesn't have that problem. Breast cancer doesn't have that problem. Um, You know, I, I... kidded when I first got out of the hospital, and, and I said, "Well, what, you know, what color ribbon do I wear? A yellow one, you know, for urine. But I, that's actually attached to a different cancer. Yellow is so. I think purple is for urine. I think, or for bladder cancer. I think we need to make a negotiation. Whoever's got yellow, and switch. But, <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's just you know, you gotta, you, you really do have to sit back and just say, you know, I, I, I can fight this or I can live with it, and it's just what it is, and I'm. I'm glad I'm alive, so, yeah. you know, what the heck, go with it.
0: <laughs> it it's interesting because I, I talk to different people with different conditions, and I've been learning a lot <clears throat> about the different stigmas with with the different conditions. And there, with lung cancer, just since you mentioned it, there is a huge stigma because they're judged as because one of the biggest risk factors is smoking. So
1: Right, so, yeah, so they're people are saying, oh, you did this to yourself. Right. right.
0: As if as yeah. if anyone deserves this kind of experience. Right. But
1: And, you know, and, and bladder cancer. I mean, they're, they're saying that, that 75% of the cases of bladder cancer are caused by smoking. Mm. And, and, you know, it was, it was interesting. Somebody told me, when I told them, it was a friend of mine, I was telling him about it. And he said, well, you know that, you know, it didn't surprise him because he said the bladder is kind of the place where all the toxins in your body that have been filtered out by your kidneys sit mm-hmm. until you until you get rid of them. And I'm like, you're right, they do just kind of sit in there acting on the muscle, acting on the tissues in there until you get rid of them. So it does kind of make sense because that's where all the toxins kind of hang out. So I just thought it was kind of interesting that he looked at it that way. But yeah, I, there are, I mean, you're right, lung cancer, it does have that stigma that you did this to yourself and it's your own fault. And, you know, if you didn't smoke, you wouldn't have it, even though people that have never smoked get it. So, yeah, Yeah. I mean, it's... Uh, what it is though right at the end of the day i can't change i can't go back 40 years and not smoke
0: right i mean as you said you can make healthier choices now and and try to find some forgiveness or acceptance for yourself for the past
1: right yeah, and that's another reason why I agreed to write for bladdercancer.net. That was the reason I wrote for my own blog. And, and uh, as I mentioned, I think that was my way of com- com- compartmentalizing the whole thing, was that as, as long as I wrote about it each day or every so often, it kind of kept it out of my day-to-day life, and it was mm-hmm. something I did on the weekends or something, and it allowed me to move forward. Um, but, you know, it's it's a, part of that process is letting other people know that it's okay and potentially be, you know, Maybe help some people, right, so that they don't pick up smoking or they go to the doctor earlier. So, all of those things make a difference. So,
0: so why do you think it's important for people with bladder cancer to have an online community?
1: Well, it gets back to, and, and, and I'm still not there 100%. I'll be honest, I'm still not there 100%. Telling people that I've had bladder cancer, that I have these issues. Um, I didn't even tell people I worked with. uh, I still haven't told most of the people I work with that I've had bladder cancer and that I have an a bladder, and that I only go to the bathroom every three and a half hours when my alarm clock goes off. And I don't know when I have to go to the bathroom because I can't feel it anymore because I don't have the nerves anymore from my bladder, blah, blah, blah. Mm. All of that said is I think having the community gives us a place to have that conversation because I think we need to have it. And it is one of those that's difficult to have with people that don't have the issue. Um, and it, there is that stigma, right? That this is not, I mean, this is, you know, your bladder and it's urine and it's going to the bathroom and that's just not stuff that you bring up over lunch with people that don't have a problem. You know? <laughs> and it's just, I think having the community, having the ability to go someplace, and I don't, I, and not anonymously, but without making a big fanfare about it. I think having the ability to go out there, because I know people have to register and they have to look at that and read that stuff, and I think it's just helpful to know that, that there's, I mean, I never even heard of bladder cancer until I got it, right, and then find out it's the fourth most common bladder cancers for men. Um, mm. It might even be third, I'm not even sure now, but, um, I mean, that surprised me, it shocked me. Um, it's still, it, it, I mean, it's not a ton of people, at least that I, I mean, it's not as prevalent as, say, breast cancer or prostate cancer, but... Um, it's still up there. But I think it just gives us a place to go and chat. I mean, even in the town I live in, we are it's not a small town, but I was the first person at the hospital to ever have a neobladder installed. Wow. It, it, you just don't know what to do, right? So having this okay. local, you know, place and a community to have that conversation, I just think is a great idea, and I'm happy to support it through the writing and being a part of the team there. So
0: Well, we're so glad you're a part of it.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Is there anything else that you wanted to share that I haven't asked about?
1: Yes, there is. The one area that you didn't cover was the caregiver side of this. Mm-hmm. And uh the, the recovery time period, as I mentioned, is three to five months, somewhere in there. And you pre are you pretty much are worthless the first three to four weeks after surgery. You just don't have the strength, your stomach muscles aren't healed up yet. Getting in and out of bed is a pain, washing yourself is a pain. Um, you know, it is not fun to walk around, you know, and empty your catheter and try to do that and empty the bag at the end of your catheter by yourself. So caregiving is a critical part of that. Um, so if you have one, somebody that helps you, cherish them, thank them because they're going to they're going to earn their money. That's for sure.
0: I'd like to thank Paul Hebert for sharing his story with me. To read Paul's articles and join the conversation, visit bladdercancer.net. You can find more health communities at health-union.com. I'm Emily Downward. Thank you for listening to Living With.